1: I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, Salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSN, the Sports Betting Network.
2: Our number nine, live from Las Vegas at the South Point Sportsbook Studios. We're back. A lot of college football, NFL to discuss this hour. Also following the latest in Major League Baseball. We'll update you on that in about 15 minutes. A couple of games going down to the wire. Dustin Sweetelson, our producer, found out all. he's he's got a sweat of a game he didn't even know he had.
3: (laughs) Well, no, I'm sweating because the AC's
2: broken. Besides that, the sweats have been, you know. That was established about two minutes into the show. But. Uh, alas, we're going to talk some college football right now. Big 12 also back in with a little Atlanta Falcons talk because our next guest, Dave Archer, a longtime coverer of both works on the Atlanta Falcons of the radio broadcast network. Also SiriusXM XM, Big 12 radio host. Give him a follow at ArcherQB16 joins us right now. And Dave, the question everybody wants to know is, will this be the year that Texas finally does not underachieve and and lives up to the preseason hype with a win total of nine and a half. It continues to get bet to the over now, minus minus one forty. You have to lay, if you think Texas win 10 games, what is your outlook on this Longhorn team heading into the year?
4: Well, I think it's a team that's certainly loaded uh, on their, on paper. There's no question about that. When you look at them from a talent standpoint, some of the transfers that have come in, the development of Quinn, Ewers, the quarterback and. And I think their improvement defensively, uh, some of that personnel, some of that, you know, with coaching with Pete Kwiatkowski, of course, in a combination with, with Gary Patterson a year ago, that the improvements Texas made along the, and then the recruitment of, of, of the big guys up front. Um, they've, they've fashioned themselves into a team on paper that looks like, and they were the favorite the Big 12 Media Days. Um, all the media picked uh, Texas to be the favorite, and, and they should be, based on what you see on paper. But as it turns out, we don't play the game on paper. So um, it'll, it'll be the continued development of Quinn Ewers. If Quinn can take that next step, which I think he will, he's got a mass of, of people around him, uh, both that have grown up in the Texas program and those that have been transferred in, that give Texas a pretty good outlook to, to step forward.
5: Dave, you can't talk about the Burn orange without talking about their rival, which is obviously Oklahoma north of the Red River. Second year there for Brent Venables, Dylan Gabriel back under center. Sooners did lose a lot of talent the last couple of years in terms of transfers and, and Mims going to the pros. But how do you look at Oklahoma on the offensive side of the ball and then, of course, defensively as where Venables where really made his bones at Clemson and, of course, previously at OU?
4: Yeah, this will be a little bit more of an interesting OU team and the fact that I think Dylan Gabriel is an outstanding player at the quarterback position. They were a different football team with, with Dylan on the field. Um, they just didn't have the backup power. Uh, Bevel, the guy that transferred in from, what, Pitt or someplace, he just wasn't very good. And, and subsequently they lost, what, 48th, another 49 to nothing to their rival Texas. Um, that's not the case this year. They've got uh, Jackson Arnold, a highly recruited kid that came in. He played extremely well in the spring. Um, I think they're very solid. They're very solidified the quarterback position. Even if they had to hand it to the true freshman, um, it'll be interesting to see who steps up around Dylan Gabriel when it comes to to the offensive side of the football. Because we know that you know Eric Gray's gone, their thousand-yard rusher uh, Marvin Mims has gone to the National Football League, their outstanding wide receiver. So it's going to be up to Farouk and a couple other receivers to step up around. Austin Stogner returns as their tight end. He's very familiar with the program, of course, because he was a, an Oklahoma Sooner and then spent a little time in South Carolina before coming back to OU. Uh, so uh, I think their offensive line will still uh, be solid. Uh, Coach Beatonbo is outstanding when it comes to offensive line play. The thing that gets lost about OU is is they're, they're a team that you think, okay, slings it all over the yard, and, and that's not really the case. When they're really good, they can run it. Um, they got back to running the ball again last year after kind of a uh, an absentee when it came to the running game in 21, they got back to run the ball. They ran the ball for almost 220 yards a year ago. So that'll be something they'll need to do, even with Dylan Gabriel, a veteran quarterback, getting things done. The, the real questions for this team is not necessarily on the offensive side of the ball. It's on the defensive side. They've attacked that side. Brent Venables went out and got a lot of guys in in free agency, if you will, the transfer portal. There's a number of players that slide in. Desan McCullough is the first guy that comes to mind out of Indiana. Outstanding, looks the part, edge rusher that looks like he could be an outside linebacker slash edge rusher. Um, he's just a sophomore, but a big kid. Um, their interior defensive line they bolstered that with with some, another transfer in Rondell Bothroyd, uh, who's who's going to step in. So they've got guys that you kind know, of Danny Stutzman, one of the better middle linebackers in the league. They're pretty solid in the secondary, but. Again, this is not very good. Not a very good defensive unit last year, uh, much to everybody's surprise, with Venables being the head coach, but. Uh, I think they're they're going to improve how much they're going to improve. I mean, that's just we have to wait and see what it looks like on the field.
2: Now We're talking Big 12 football right now with Dave Archer. He's here on SiriusXM Big 12 radio right now on Sharp Money. And I'm curious your thoughts, Dave, on the four newcomers into the conference where UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston all now move over for, first full year of a full Big 12 conference slate. UCF, of those four, the only team with a win total of over six and with a sub 40-to-1 shot at least to win the conference at 35-to-1. How do you expect that transition goes for head coaching Gus Malzahn and the Golden Knights.
4: Well, I think that it's going to be a good one in the fact that they got John Rice Plumley, their quarterback, that returns, and he's got some. He's got some transfers that have been in the program for a couple of years. They're going to be around him. It's outstanding. He's got a. He's got a really nice wide receiver core. The biggest thing for them is can they keep John Rice Plumley healthy? That was a that was a problem a year ago. Uh, they had the ability to hand the ball to Isaiah Bowser, who was essentially a running quarterback, and. And he did some good things down in the red zone for them, but they're different when when Plumlee's on the field. So uh, if he can do that, um, he's a very talented guy, and I think he's going to help them a lot. But they've got some good outside receivers. I think they're better on defense than people think they are. The biggest transition for them will be playing a power five roster or power five schedule. So normally, they would play a couple three teams that that were power five teams, and then the rest of it was was sprinkled in with their, their AAC uh, compatriots or uh, some of the smaller teams like these other teams play. Um, but the depth it becomes a glaring issue when you begin to have to run a gauntlet in a Power 5 conference. So I think that they're the most equipped to, be, uh, have to make some noise in the Big 12, but it'll be interesting to see if their depth is there to be able to handle of attrition that will
5: inevitably take place. Dave, which are some teams that intrigue you in this league outside of obviously Texas know you at the top. Ben just asked you about UCF, um, whether it's Kansas State, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, who, who think? who do you think could potentially be a team that challenges for the top of the league outside of the big two?
4: Yeah, I think K-State's ready to go. I think mean, Chris Kleiman's an outstanding coach. I think that they've they've got a veteran quarterback and Will Howard that found himself after taking over the job about halfway through the year, a year uh, after Adrian Martinez was kind of banged up, and, and Will came in and really played well. They beat TCU in the Big 12 title game, uh, their first Big 12 title in forever. And so uh, they're poised with him coming back. Now they lose Deuce Vaughn. They lose Felix dK Azuma, their defensive end, he's an outstanding player. Uh, those guys both went to the National Football League, but I think they've recruited well, and they've got – and Kleiman, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Kleiman fan. I think that you know he won a, a number of national championships at the level just below at North Dakota State, and, and then here he is in, what, his fourth year, and he, he guides them to a Big 12 title. So I think that um, I think that coaching – and there's good coaching throughout this league, but I think that Kleiman, to me, is one of those guys that maybe is the next level guy Seems to communicate and, and seems to lock in with his players maybe better than some do. Another guy that would be in that same category is Joey McGuire at Texas Tech. I think that this is the year that Texas Tech and Zach Kittley's offense should should catch fire. If they can get Tyler Shuck on the field, um, they're a different team. I think I think they're like 8-2 with Tyler Shuck as a starter. Um, he showed uh, the ability to run the football some last year, which I don't think anybody knew he could do and they've got a talented young kid behind him in baron morton but it's not really his time yet if shuck stays on the field i think this is a group on offense they return a ton of guys on the offensive side of the ball all 11 starters from last year come back um and uh and then the defense is is kind of fixing some of the areas tyree wilson off the national football league after being a first round draft they will need to fill that void he had some seven or eight sacks a year ago for him but uh I don't think they're necessarily laying in the weeds, guys. I think that mm-hmm. I, think, I, I actually picked Texas and K State to play for the Big 12 championship. So, um, uh, I think that Texas Tech is going to be in the
2: mix as well. Yeah, K-State trying to get back to that championship game after winning a season ago. In addition to covering the Big 12 for Series XM, Dave Archer, you can hear him on the Falcons Radio Network. Training camp now open, Dave. I'm sure you've been getting uh, that, that early glimpse of what the Falcons will look like in 2023. You know, where where we are out in Vegas, a lot of interest, a lot of respected money on the over from seven and a half to eight. Now it's eight and a half juiced over minus 120. You you buying the Kool-Aid on this Atlanta team heading into the year?
4: Well, I, I like I like the team. I like the, I like what uh, Terry Fontenot did in the offseason. They really attacked the defensive side of the football at free agency. There's a number of players that come over that have been successful in this league, or uh, guys that are kind of looking for a new lease on life. Uh, a couple of guys, Jeff Acuda and Mike Hughes, two guys who are former number one picks, come in and will play corner spots potentially nickel corner. You could have AJ Terrell, Mike Hughes, and, and Jeff Acuda on the field. All those guys are number one picks and all of were highly regarded when they came out of, high, out of college. So um, I like the, the makeup of the defense. Now they're going to have to show it on the field. It was not a team that was very good on third down a year ago, and they couldn't get after the passers. So that was what they were trying to attack with some of the free agency signs. Uh, on the offensive side of the football, it's just a young team. Drake London had, a, had an outstanding last year. Last year as a first-round pick out of USC. Um, and Kyle Pitts, who was the year before, who had a really good year, actually went to the Pro Bowls as a, as a rookie tight end. Uh, he tore his knee up, and so he looks. He's back on the field, ready to go. And and uh, of course, the addition of Bijan Robinson uh, and some of the versatility he brings, the Texas running back. It, it looks like there's a lot of a lot of weapons. Um, you add Jonu Smith to that, who's, who's played with with Arthur Smith as the as the offensive coordinator for in Tennessee. All of a sudden, you you like a lot of the weapons. You know, Des Ritter's going to have to take another step. Des played the last four games of the year, the third round draft pick out of Cincinnati. Um, big kid, athletic. Got a great attitude. Played 50 games in college. Was two and two in his four games with the Falcons last year, and he's a. He it looks. He looks solid. I, I like his makeup. I like his his mentality, and I'm expecting Des to have a really good year. So, um, I'm the Falcon guy. So I'm sure. You know, I, I like the Falcons down the right. I like the Falcons all the way. So
2: give him a follow at Archer QB16. Played college football for Iowa State, played eight years in the NFL, outstanding work as a Sirius XM Big 12 radio analyst and on the Atlanta Falcons radio network. Dave, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Good talking to you guys. Y'all take care. Thank you. Yeah, great insight there from Dave Archer. As we come back, update you on a little bit of baseball and also go into our three-point stance on this Wednesday.
6: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever.
7: on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on VSN, the Sports Betting Network.
2: We all know about the speed of sound, but have you ever thought about the sounds of speeding? Drive too fast and you could hear the sound of your vehicle crashing because one way or another, speeding catches up with you. Paid for by NHTSA. It is over in the Twin Cities. i um, very good series between the Seattle Mariners and Minnesota Twins. <laughs> We've made the case so many times. I know I have, at least on the show, for the Seattle Mariners to make a postseason run. Almost blew a five-run lead late, but hang on. Andres Munoz to save for manager Scott Surveys. 8-7 win. Take two or three from the Twinkies and the the M's, I'm um, all four back of the Jays for the final wild card spot, still alive and kicking.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, I think the series—they come from behind last night. They're down six to two. They score seven runs in the final two innings, win the game. They win this game eight-seven. Hang on for dear life, because I think it was about eight to three here, Ben. And then you see Milwaukee—I'm sorry, Minnesota—make a push. They win the game. Can this be some positive momentum for them going forward? Some reigns to be seen. We
2: shall see uh, Joe Ryan in Minnesota going down is about $1. sixty consensus favorites today. So dog cash is that one was way over the uh, the eight and a half total, which did get bet up about a run and looks like them all. We also will see a swing at least of a game in that di- uh, the division in the AL Central where twins coming into today three game lead, but they go down the twins doing the guardians up eight three really strong. Uh, outing from uh, Garrett Williams, the young, uh, the the young starter. He's only made four or five starts now for Cleveland, but I've been really impressed with what I've seen out of him so far. Granted, it was Kansas City at home, but still, all Guardians today. They lead eight three with one out to get in the top of the ninth.
5: Yeah, this team. Uh, I still think they have an opportunity in this division simply because of their pitching compared to uh, what you see with Minnesota. The inconsistency. Minnesota does have good frontline starting pitching, but it just doesn't seem to be consistent
2: enough. It's, that's been uh, that's been the big issue for. The most part, at least uh, that game again with Cleveland, as you would expect, taking on the roles at home, huge, huge favorite, about $2 consensus. A game did just go over though. The 10 count. All right, let's go to our three point stance. We're ready to go. And uh, some it's, it's that time of year. Maul, it's early NFL training camp. You get a lot of comments from a lot of players. The one guy though, that has been uh, making himself very much heard throughout the offseason Now into training camp, Bill's wide receiver, Stefan Diggs. Here were the latest comments coming out of Bill's training camp and Stefan Diggs earlier. Obviously, the way we lost was was just terrible in any regard. You know, it, you don't want to lose any game. But we've lost for a couple of years at this point, and we've been trying to get over the hump. And obviously, it caused for a lot of frustration. But uh, all in all, like as far as with that, I was here. But we, he did have a conversation. Me and him did have a conversation. It's all water under the bridge now. But I could I attribute it to like I mean, family matters. You know I'm like, i Like I don't like dancing around things. I don't like I don't like those kind of questions. But black and white is, everybody has family matters. We had a conversation, everything is all as well. Uh, water on the bridge now, we back at work. And you know, I, I look at football, you know, it's kind of hard. It's a business at the end of the day. But when you go out there and you fight tooth and nail, you put a lot of sweat equity into this thing, it starts to feel like a family. So for me, um, I kind of keep everything in the house. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, uh, we had those conversations, everything that needed to be said was said, and we talked it out as men, uh, everybody involved. I think sweat equity, he could fill right in as a as a host. So that's a great that's a great line, Stefan Diggs. And the reality is he's kind of made you know, he's made the headlines himself. So it's sort of ironic to now, you know, poo-poo everything after you were the big storyline all summer.
5: Well, I think the fact that Buffalo failed to get to the Super Bowl last year and many people halfway through the regular season thought they were the best team, not only in the AFC but in the NFL. I think that's where you're seeing a lot of this. Also, look, the Bills are the story in Western New York. There's no question about it. And this is a team where you feel like the window might be changing. They lose Tremaine Edmonds. He goes to the bears on the defensive side of the ball. That's a big loss. Where are they going to be offensively? The big question that always comes up is who's the second receiver. What's the consistency in the running game? Josh Allen does a tremendous job, but over to me, Ben, they need to find some other guys to step up besides Allen
2: and Diggs. Sure. And I just wonder, was, is this a year to kind of go against the grain? Remember last going into last year, Seemed like just about everybody in the sports betting space was all in on Buffalo. Yeah. All in. And they come out week one, just blast the LA Rams. And that only furthered the narrative. Doesn't I I can't find a single person who wants to buy in on Buffalo futures-wise. This is still a front seven, at least if you go to the defensive side that I view is a top ten unit, where fifth defensively against the run, eleventh against the pass last year. You still have a legitimate MVP candidate and quarterback Josh Allen. And it just kind of feels like this one off-season storyline has overshadowed everything else that is, even though you mentioned some losses for the Bills, still a really good football team.
5: No, you're absolutely right about that. And I got to tell you, we're talking about Buffalo and treating the Bills like they're a seven-win team. And you're absolutely right. But to me, the problem is now, I mentioned the loss of Edmonds. You mentioned how good they are defensively. Can they find that consistency? And I don't know where you guys come out, but I think this is the toughest division in football. When you look at the AFC East, you've got Buffalo, the Jets. I, I know people are like, I don't know where you guys stand on New York. I love the Jets this year. I think the Jets have a legitimate shot. They're not one of the top three teams, but they're in that second tier to me behind KC Cincinnati and Buffalo. And with Aaron Rodgers, look, Burrow's great. Mahomes is great. But you're still, this is a four-time MVP. And Garrett Wilson's going to be a superstar. It's the question of, can this offensive line deliver consistently guys like Mekhi Becton? If they can, I think they got a chance. And that's why I think some of the affinity for Buffalo is also, or the lusters kind of come off a little bit of Buffalo.
2: Sure. And look, the all four teams in that division have six of the six hardest strength of schedules based on their opposing win totals, four of them come from the AFC East. So it, it's very realistic and logical, Amal, you could make that case. The only pushback I would look at is remember last year in the AFC West, where we had this similar conversation division wide, and we went, man, is this going to be an impossible division? Yeah. Turned out not to be that all that great, largely because Las Vegas Stunk and because Denver was just abysmal. Not that I expect between the Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, and Jets, just any you know, two of those teams to be woeful this year, but I always hesitate trying to make those grand statements when we have all this time in the offseason to hype up certain divisions and sometimes it doesn't come to fruition.
5: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think it's something you got to pay attention to. But right now, the Bills are 5 to 1 to win the AFC, which I don't know, I don't, it's an okay number. I, I still don't see them going to Cincinnati potentially in the playoffs and winning, or they've done it in Kansas city, but
2: not during the postseason. And that will be the big question yeah. going forward. Uh, speaking of teams trying to sustain what they have done in the past part two of our three point stance. Uh, we had this, this tweet from uh, art Stapleton from covering the, the uh, giants camp. And we, it only took, Well, we're Wednesday, July 26th. all it only took till this point where we're getting the reports of how great guys look throwing to wide open guys in, uh, in camp and quarterback, Daniel Jones report out. On this it's, uh, it's it, how good Dana Jones looked in the first practice of training camp. I don't think I've ever seen him throw the ball harder was the exact quote that art Stapleton. So congratulations, everybody. We, we did it. We waited this long to make sweeping statements about the arm strength of a quarterback. Who's at all offseason to rest.
5: Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, but you do look at some of the things in terms of performance and how teams play, how guys perform. You get, you start to get an idea, you get a gauge of it in terms of where they come out. So this would be interesting for me in terms of can he take that next step forward. Sure, and, and that's the big question mark. I, I don't know. I'm not a believer in Daniel Jones, but maybe he proves me wrong this year. I know he had a good year last year. The Giants obviously thought he had a great year. I'm just not ready to kind of line up with that just yet.
2: Oh, it was interesting that the, the reporter he asked uh, Cole Beasley if he agreed without because fe- Beasley caught one of the uh, touchdown passes and Beasley's like yeah I agree. Ton of heat on it. It's like Cole Beasley. I mean the fact fe- you know your head is on straight. That is that that is a. Uh, a good accomplishment to be proud of—the fact that you held on to a football. Good for you, man. Because I don't know how you're still in the league, but
5: I, neither here nor that, there. I'm, well, I'm just to, to be honest with you. I'm surprised Cole Beasley's on a roster.
2: I, that's my whole point. Yeah. <laughs> that Dustin's giving me that look like he knows what I'm talking about.
3: Well, for Daniel Jones, what, what's fascinating about this, as a Giants fan, is that. It, it, I'm very low on the giants this year, just based on the, the obvious regressions that should take place after what happened right. a year ago with them and that incredible run they had into the postseason and beating Minnesota. But I'm not going to lie. I did get a little titillated by that tweet. From oh, I I knew I, you would. The juices were flowing a bit because if you think about Daniel Jones, he basically didn't have a legitimate head coach. His first couple of years in the NFL, it's his first off off uh, off season where he already knows the offensive system. And now they can add more to it. And I trust this regime from GM to head coach and everyone in between where now I'm like maybe being low on the Giants with Saquon back in the mix and a better defense and some more weapons to throw to maybe I'm wrong to be down on the Giants.
5: I, here's the thing about Daniel Jones. So you mentioned about the coaching. To me, if you're a great or an elite player, you're great or elite regardless of whether the fact that you've got Richie Cotite.
3: No, or no coordinators and systems when you're a young quarterback. No, I don't agree with that. You... We, the bad coaching in the NFL has killed the careers of many talented quarterbacks. Inability to adjust, to adapt, to put systems around the skill set that that player has. And the one thing I loved about what Dable did last year is he played into Daniel Jones' strengths.
2: I love a good, rich coach type mention. That's all. That's all I'll add to this. One of the worst coaches ever. (laughs) (laughs) Bubby Brewster. Was that his quarterback? This
5: conversation. Bubby Brewster.
3: Brewster. Brewster. Yeah.
5: yeah, uh, Bubby. Bubby. Yeah, I was there for a short time. was in Pittsburgh previous to that. Uh, Look, I get what you're saying, but I think guys just find ways to make plays. You may not be able to make all the plays. Your offense may not be flowing in a way that it would would, under a good coach. So, I I don't know. And to me, though, when I look at this Giants team, you've got – they they should make the playoffs simply because they're in a bad conference. The AFC's got about 10 teams that could potentially make the playoffs. The NFC's got realistically three, and then anybody else can make it. Well,
2: I'm going to throw Minnesota in that mix, four teams. Sure. Last time I checked, you've got uh, seven playoff spots. Yeah, exactly. Gaps. One of those NFC teams, by the way, just going out here, the third of the three-point stance, where now that betting is so main, mainstream, I like that we get reporters asking coaches about win totals and stuff. And so Sean McVay was asked about his six-and-a-half win total, and he said... They don't believe in us. Whatever I say, I'm going to get in trouble right now. I'm just picturing that in, in the McVeigh voice, just all jacked up, high-pitched energy. How, so how about you go, you know, really, you really believe McVeigh? You're going to go 7-10? I don't know. We'll see in, in this upcoming season. Uh, speaking of coaches talking to reporters, we have some sound from Big Ten Media Days. We'll get into that conference as we continue right here on Sharp Money.
1: This is Sharp Money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw on Vsin, the sports betting network.
2: Download the DraftKings app today, and new customers can bet five dollars and get 150 bucks in bonuses instantly. Use promo code VSIN when you sign up. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for full terms and conditions. It's over at the Keg Mall. Three nothing, Milwaukee back on top by a game and a half over the Cincinnati Reds in the NL Central. How about this? Brewers only scored nine runs in the series, seven of them come in the seventh inning or later. Wow
5: that's, that's big time. We know the Reds have had some issues with the bullpen and shows once again. So Milwaukee ends up taking what? Seven out of nine or six out of nine.
2: Uh, so out of the out of the all-star break, yeah. Brewers win uh, si- it was seven of nine and yeah. for the season that is now 10 of 13 wow. from Cincinnati Season series over. Brewers now in the I wouldn't say driver's seat, but a lot of people figured that this would be the stretch where Cincinnati took over the division it did not happen that way.
5: Yeah, I still think Milwaukee's the better team. The offense is not on par with the Reds, but the pitching is, and at the end of the day, pitching matters.
3: Absolutely. Uh, By the way, Zach Gallen two earned in the first three innings there versus St. Louis Cardinals on top middle of the third, two nothing. And maybe we could get a four-run spot somehow, four earned against Gallon. And maybe you and I, am all our tickets on Blake Snell will feel a lot better tomorrow morning.
5: And you're absolutely right about that. But uh, i tell you what, Flaherty's always had that one hiccup in inning, did a nice job of getting out of the first inning. Let's see if he can continue this. Uh, Diamondbacks have had runners on base in the first two innings so far. Yeah,
3: Flaherty threw about 30 pitches in the yeah. first inning, somehow got out of it. I just need runs assigned to, to Zach Gallant sure that's all I need Whatever I, him, it him to be responsible for runs
2: was that was you think it was somebody you encountered somebody on your way back to the studio uh, in the sports book Dustin That might have been a, you think maybe a Blake Snell side well, of the way he was cheering uh, profusely at every pitch
3: look the South Point is a legendary sports book it's one of the best places to watch a game in the city if not the best and but the problem is that every sports book there are certain characters you run into And the yelling about every moment of action of your bet guy is someone I just passed. As I was coming back from relieving myself in the restroom, I hear, let's go, 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 no, no, no. Oh, and like I look up, I'm like, what is he watching? Is he watching soccer or something or like even the TBT? To he's, TBT. He's yelling about baseball. And to me, there are certain sports. Like I don't like that because he's by himself. He wants everyone to look at him. And by the way, if you make eye contact with a person like this, that is essentially engaging in a conversation and it's impossible to disengage. They will follow you all the way to your car and talk to you about their bets. So you have to be careful. Uh, I just think that baseball is a sport you cannot be yelling about during any action plays. Like I get it in football here and there. I get it in basketball here and there. But you cannot be yelling watching baseball,
2: especially when it's in the third inning, like all the games are. <laughs> yeah. Right I that the closest thing that happened to me was in the it was in the Venetian Sportsbook. Guy had an eleven team parlay, NBA Summer League, WNBA, and he lost. He lost because a WNBA game stayed under by one, and just was <laughs> trying to tell everybody who would listen, it was you know whatever five bucks to win ten grand and. I'm like I'm so I, I have no sympathy. you're betting on the summer League and WNBA comp- not like look individually fine, but 11 legs together. What are we doing?
5: I yeah, exactly. It's not even about the fact that it's summer League and WNBA. It's the fact that it's 11 teams, right? I mean
2: that's and just it's the, the urge to treat it like it's you know your own personal funeral space and just <laughs> giving your monologue to everybody who walks by within a 15 foot Anyway, anyway, speaking of monologues, like that transition to mall. We go to yeah, big 10. We go to big 10 media days. We got, we, we had the sound earlier, which was, uh, you know, more in the, the fun line of, and kind of making fun of the Charlotte head coach, Biff Pochi with his team, not getting covered, but a couple of teams. all we'll talk about who are certainly getting plenty of coverage. Some for good reasons, some for bad. Let's start with a team in Ohio state. That is going to be your
5: No, I was going to say before you run the clip, if you tell me what the question is, I can pretty
2: much tell you <laughs> what the Ryan day answer is. That's also fair. Well, we have a clip, so it must be interesting. Yeah, but so yeah One right. of no the co-favorites here in the Big Ten.
3: I, I don't know what the question was, but I can just give you a little synopsis of the clip without giving away too much. He he was talking about his approach as being the man in charge of the Buckeyes program.
5: I think it would be something like, well, you know, listen. You, you, I, I, it was, he was, I thought he was going to get asked actually a football question, being in charge... So we've got great coaches on our staff. You know, we, we've got great talent. We're going to try and do the best job we can. I mean, that guy, there's nobody more boring in an interview in college football than Ryan Day.
2: All right, will I fall asleep in the next 30 seconds? Let's find out. Do you have narcolepsy? Then um, yes. The way
3: that our staff's designed, you know, I think we have a great staff and, um, you know, it has allowed me to jump around a little bit more. Once we get into the teeth of the season, I just, um, you know, I I know how it's going to go probably for me. I'm going to end up being right involved with it again. But that being said, as the season wears on, I have to be conscious this year of not getting too locked into the offense and making sure that I have, you know, a handle on everything that's going on. And I think, you know, certainly Brian running the offense and being a part of that and uh, Justin Fry with the O-line, you know, some of the other additions we've had to the staff will allow us to do that.
2: You basically, at least the first sentence, I was like, oh, so I'm, all, I, I'm all nailed it.
3: Has he been accused of just focusing only on the offense and not looking at the defense as all that? It sounded like he was a little defensive about it.
5: Uh, correct. And here's the other problem, though. I don't think he is as aggressive offensively as he should be considering in his tenure, they've had the best offensive college football over the last four years. You know, the criticism that he's gotten is unwarranted. I, I saw somewhere someone said if he loses to Michigan, he's gonna be fired. Well, Jim Harbaugh's two and five against Ohio State. Here's another thing I would point out. He lost to Clemson in a game where the controversial call, when uh, Akuda knocked the ball out of the receiver's hands, and then you saw um it was picked up and uh, by Fuller in return for a touchdown didn't count. They lose to Michigan twice. Uh, They did lose to Oregon. I don't think they've lost to an unranked team. I mean, the success that he's had, he's lost two games in Big Ten play in four years. The problem in college football, whether it's Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, USC, the fan bases are just completely delusional, right? Like, if you don't go, you know, Ohio State has a streak of scoring 21 points. They've scored 21 points in every game he's been the head coach. it's it's really insane to me how people are like, well, he can't beat Michigan. Michigan's got a great football team. I I know people don't want to hear that from in Columbus or in other parts of Ohio or Buckeye fans. they got a great, great football team. If Blake Corum plays, they probably beat TCU and they score on that opening drive. Yeah, the quarterback play hasn't been there, so I I don't understand the criticism. It's completely unwarranted.
2: What's more ridiculous, Jim Harbaugh as head coach getting the suspension for the the reasons he got it or the fact that the sports bettors out there are betting East Carolina plus 35 in the hook like they know the final score and that, and that somehow Michigan is not going to be able to just wipe the face off of a bad pirate team at the big house?
5: I, I tell you what, 35 and a half is a big number. Um, but in the first half, Michigan's probably, if it's less than 21, the Wolverines would be up. I, I think Michigan has a chance this year legitimately to win the national title if J.J. McCarthy can deliver. Everywhere else, I think they're yeah. solid. Uh, I shouldn't say solid. They, they are very good to great. Um, the receivers, they don't have great receivers, but you don't need great receivers. You need guys just to make plays. Colston, at, uh, who it was uh, at Loveland Colston, the tight end they've got, really good one there. This is a good, good football team. If they can win at Penn State uh, in November ele- on November 11th and beat Ohio State November 25th,
2: this team has a chance to run the table and go undefeated. Sure, co-favorites right now, Michigan and Ohio State in the Big Ten, about plus 165 yeah. at DraftKings. How about a team on the other end of the spectrum? A lot of of questions being asked about Northwestern's program where they will be at. And the new head coach, David Braun, was asked about, all right, how do you approach things heading into a year with so many off-the-field distractions?
8: I dreamt of playing in the Big Ten. That never became a reality. But an opportunity to work in the Big Ten, coach in the Big Ten, and coach and mentor these young men is something that I don't take lightly. I vividly remember in 1995, watching Northwestern beat ninth ranked Notre Dame. Incredible, it still sticks with me to this day. The following year, I'm sitting in the stands with a childhood friend, watching Northwestern take on Wisconsin. In improbable circumstances, Ron fumbles with under a minute left to go, few plays later to find Steve Schnurr connect with Dwayne Bates on a double move and one of the most improbable Northwestern wins in Northwestern history. Again, this opportunity is a dream come true to be a part of Big Ten football.
2: I think if I was, if I was being grilled and being asked to deflect on something, I would definitely bring up Ron Dane and, and you know, Steve Schnurr. It's great, great talking points to just sort of deflect any, any real conversation. Uh, nice, nice speech. Though. That was a really good speech.
5: Tell you one thing, I, I thought I was going to take a nap. I mean, that guy was not exactly a bastion of entertainment or excitement.
3: Uh, the, the vibe. I was wondering. I I, w- I was torn because I was like, oh man, this guy sounds really passionate about this opportunity. And at the same point, I was like, yeah, I would be too if it was something I was not ready for and probably wasn't going to happen in some time in the next five to seven years for me. Like he's in over his skis. Well,
5: let's let's see what happens from a coaching standpoint. I don't worry about guys in terms of the press conference. Not everybody's strength is in public speaking or where they're comfortable in front of the microphone. So that I'm not going to criticize, but I think it's a great opportunity, right? he, by the way, he's from your home state, Wisconsin, 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 Wisconsin,
2: when noticed great, uh, great D two school in Minnesota, the um, Winona state,
5: but you look at a Northwestern to me is a program with deep pockets from an alumni base. You can really do well. They're a beautiful campus. They've got a great football facility. Welsh Ryan, I mean, if they'd maybe cut the grass once a year, might be a little bit more attractive. to guys that have a little bit of speed.
2: I've been there once. Tyrell Sutton ran for like 300 yards and a 52-48 win over, I believe it was Jim Sorgies Wisconsin Badgers. I,
5: I have not. John,
2: Sorry, John Stocko's Wisconsin Badgers. I have
5: not been to Welsh Ryan. That's one of the few places in the Big Ten I've not been. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you can't I,
3: win there. You can't win at Vanderbilt. You can't win at Georgia Tech. You it was it was one of the weirder. You can't win at
5: Georgia Tech. Bobby Dodd won a national title. Bobby Ross won a
3: national title in 1990. Yeah. Don't do the math on how long ago 1990 was. Let's go to commercial. He's okay, right.
2: that's that's <laughs> probably a fair a fair statement. We'll wrap up the next hour of and Sharp Money right after this.
0: and these stories are about how we got here both on and off the court and what's next listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Store on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
1: this is sharp money with Patrick Maher and Amal Shaw v
2: the Sports Betting Network. The NFL Betting Guide is out now, and our college football guide drops next week. Get previews and predictions for every Division I team and conference. Best bets on futures and season win totals, plus an in-depth breakdown of how you can use our betting splits and power rankings to make you a smarter, better this season. Sign up before the end of July and receive both guides and full v Pro access all the way through the Super Bowl at an early bird discount of $175. Or sign up on a monthly subscription and get your first 30 days for only 19 bucks to see everything v has to up your betting game. Remember, this offer ends July 31st in just a few days, so don't miss out on these preseason deals. Go to vsun.com slash subscribe to take advantage of these special offers and become part of the Sports Betting Network. We'll have some Pac-12 football to talk about with Jordan Watkins in 15 minutes a little more NFL with the former head coach Jay Gruden in about 45 here on Sharp Money. I'm going to play some Dead or Alive right now. We didn't get to the uh, the Kirk Ferentz soundbite, though, from Iowa, which... I kind of want to hear Dustin if we have that pulled we up can, just we because because uh, I love him. Any Anything to do with punting and Iowa, it's a match made in heaven. Yeah,
5: absolutely right. I'm surprised this team doesn't punt on first down. It would be better for their defense because then they wouldn't lose yardage on offense. What
3: are you talking about? The punter is like the second best offensive weapon and defensive weapon on this team. Why is he only the second best? Well, because they still have a running back. They still believe in the running back. They
5: do, but it's kind of hard when the entire defense knows in the first and that second an down issue. play
3: you're going to run the ball. Yes. Yeah, so I guess at Media Days, uh, Kirk Ferentz was asked about their punter, Tory Taylor. He's a senior, and I guess he's really good at punting. You would assume so, because this is the soliloquy that Kirk Ferentz went on about punting and his punter when he was asked about him.
4: You know, I really kind of learned the importance of a great punter in uh, 1981, my first year ever at Iowa. And we were fortunate to have uh, Reggie Roby, I believe, is a junior that year, uh, as amazing punters I've ever seen. So um, his leg was a big part of the reason we were Big Ten champions that year and played in the Rose Bowl. Uh, and then certainly playing and coaching in pro football really developed an appreciation for how punters can affect and impact the game. And, you know, we're built, uh, you know, we're kind of a defensive-oriented outfit, if you will. And uh, the value of having a great kicking game along with a good, you know, solid defense gives you an opportunity maybe to have a little bit more success that way. So uh, when we have a player of Torrey's capabilities and talents, you know, we're certainly going to try to utilize, utilize that in a smart way.
2: I love it. You know, for, for the immaculate grid uh, sickos like Dustin, and I love a good Reggie Roby mentioned. If you ever get Tampa Bay, Miami in your grid,
3: it's a good Paul, but like guys, Amal, you made the mistake of thinking 1990 was recent before the last segment. Ended, <laughs> 33 years ago. I don't blame you. I talk about 1995 when I was 10 as if it was seven years ago. So I get it. But here's the thing. It's 2020, 20, 2023 year of our Lord. When does Iowa embrace the forward pass? Well,
5: I was just getting ready to comment on that. By the way, Chris Doring was very confident in talking about 1995 yesterday with us. So don't give me a hard time sure. about the 90s. Here's what I don't understand. He was on Hayden Fry's staff from 1981 to 1989. Hayden Fry was a tremendous coach. Iowa was ranked number one or number two in the country in '85 with Chuck Long, who was a Heisman finalist. They had a great offense, Ronnie Harmon on that team. How is it? And all this time as the head coach of the Hawkeyes, you are so anti offense. Don't tell me you can't win in Iowa City. Why are they so opposed just sitting there and saying, you know what, guys, let's make some plays? They had uh, Tim Dwight on the perimeter. They've had some good offensive skilled guys in the past. We know the tight ends that have come out of Iowa. Why does this team just sit there and say, no, you know what, we're going to try and beat Ohio State outside of that one game where Haskins was terrible in in Iowa City? Why do you sit there and think you're going to win games in today's day and age? by scoring 21 points and holding the opponent to 20. It's like walking around <laughs> saying, Hey man, I got all my information on my Palm pilot. What are you kidding me? I mean, the
3: like palm pi-
2: yeah, that's great.
3: But like, palm pilot. Are, there you guys have these teams where no matter what happens, you're always on the wrong side of them. When I think Iowa's good, they stink. When I think Iowa stinks, they somehow win. Like, I don't like going back to Ricky Stanzi. Like, Bad things always happen when I bet on Iowa. I just generally have to avoid their games because I never have a vibe for what they are because you just never know what you're getting. I'm
2: still mad that that Iowa beat Missouri in the 2010 Insight Bowl. I'm still fuming about that. How
5: how about the, uh, the game against LSU in the, I think it was like 05 Capital One Bowl, Drew Tate saves their bacon. They didn't even use the timeout. And the last play of the game, somehow LSU's defense allows two receivers to get deep and they win the game. But it, it's just the ineptitude that's been there with Kirk Ferentz's team. And then his son, Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator, has been so bad. The Hawkeyes and their families, they have tremendous fan support. The fact that they have been given this ineptness in offense, you mentioned Ricky Stanzi and some of these other guys. When you watch a Hawkeyes game, you know how good the defense is going to be. You'll see a receiver wide open. You're like, dude, they're going to get a 20-yard pass. No shot. Ball is thrown about 17 yards. The receiver's looking around like, dude, why the hell did I choose to come here to play receiver?
3: Yeah, it looks like someone's playing out of position at quarterback. <laughs> exactly. Basically,
2: basically, eight is the win total just over minus one forty five. And the well, best thing you can say for Iowa is the fact that they avoid Ohio State and Michigan on the schedule this year.
5: They, they do. Once again, that's a huge benefit. They get they're at state college. So I think it could be a loss. The, the, when you mentioned the eight, it's going to be a balance of can you win in Ames? Always a re, uh, rivalry game in the Cyhawks series. Uh, At State College, I mentioned they should beat Michigan State at Purdue at home. They got to go to Wisconsin, another tough game now that Luke Fickle takes over Braylon Allen, in my opinion, the best running back in college football. Um, Minnesota is always tough. That's the Floyd of Rosedale, isn't that? Iowa, Minnesota, that's always a great rivalry matchup. Um, At at Nebraska, another tough one at the end of the year. One, two, three. mm. Over eight is juiced. Minus 145, too. I can't play it. I think they're right about eight wins. I don't know if they get the nine. I think they lose at Wisconsin. I think they lose at Penn State. Nebraska, Minnesota, and Iowa State, they've got to go two and one in those Mm. games to get over.
2: We will see. All I know is the last time I, like we're talking about punting so much with that, with that Kirk Ferentz clip. Remember reading uh, the recently released David Marinus book on the life of Jim Thorpe. Great book. That's the last time I can remember seeing the word punting used in such a such a vociferous state was David Marinus' outstanding book on a guy who played football in the 20s. This
5: guy's showing off here, isn't he? I, yeah, he knows how to read. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. I try <laughs> to read a book
2: a month. What's wrong with that? A book a month? Yeah. A I book ch- a month. Th-
3: I only read on the toilet, so that means I've got to eat more fiber you know, if I'm going to finish a book in a month. For
2: immaculate grid purposes, reading like a sports book a month. So I'm reading the. Did you ever read uh, Ball Four, the Jim Bouton book in 1969 that uh, became I, super famous for because it was like an inside locker, like the first book yeah. that was like inside the locker room and the Commissioner Bowie Kuhn wanted basically tried to blacklist him. Really interesting book, actually, even 50 years later.
5: I, I believe you. My philosophy on reading is if it's going to be something in the self help or self improvement category, otherwise I don't have an interest in reading about history. I just just read something on Wikipedia in about ten minutes. I'm like, I'll summarize it. Uh, he was criticizing me because I do that with movies. I'll start a movie and I'm like, let me read the premise of this. Let me see if it's worth wasting ninety minutes to two hundred and twenty minutes. And then I said, eh, it's not worth it. I j- I got the synopsis of it. Yeah, I just
2: thought I'd point that. Out. I was, I was the, imp- I'm impressed that you read a book. comp. But well,
5: I was more impressed that you read a book a month.
2: I, you know, we go up to a you know you have you have the lake in Wisconsin. You're doing your NFL college football prep, and then you're doing a little reading. It's, it's, summer get a summer shandy. Drive past. What, what is a summer shandy? That's a, a great beer, beer from from lining Kugel. I'm
3: it's, sorry. It's I apologize. Okay.
5: The way Sean answered you and Dustin answered and you,
3: did, know. it yeah. was like I asked, "What is a Miller it's, like? It's okay. It's so It's it's okay. Summer shandy.
2: It's good. I will say, Spotted Cow has kind of become overrated, though. Stop! Every everybody talks about Spotted Cow like it is God's ben. gift from the Wisconsin heavens.
3: Ben, I had Spotted Cow one time in 2009. <laughs> And I haven't stopped thinking about it since. Well,
2: here's so the question. Why have you not had one since? It's so, illegal to sell outside of the state of Wisconsin. It's a wow. beer that's bars in Wisconsin. Minnesota bars have been fined for selling it illegally.
3: Uh, bars in New York City have been shut down because they would drive out with trucks and vans, fill up with cases of spotted cow, and drive back across the country, and they get in trouble for it. So— why is it illegal
2: to st- sell outside of the state of Wisconsin? Uh, the new, ask the New Glarus Brewing Company.
3: They they want it as a Wisconsin thing, a Wisconsin specialty.
2: It's what Culvers used to be before they sold out.
3: Okay, can we get some references that I know? What the hell is Culvers? <laughs> it's you a don't fast know what food. Is? fast food that I've never had either. So, which is a believe me, if there's I a fast not, food that I haven't had, it's definitely had Culvers. Where's it's the, the burnt, nearest one?
2: The double deluxe bacon cheese butter burger with a concrete mixer. Oh, my does God. That,
3: does that come with a cardiologist? You know what this body looks like? It needs a little bit more butter and beef together. <laughs> yeah. well, so where is
2: Culver's a Wisconsin yes. thing? It's a, a butter burger. Yes, butter burgers are their staple.
5: The uh, what's the place in Canada that's very famous? Uh, uh, Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. Thank yeah.
3: you. It's was, coffee and donuts, though.
5: No, no, no. My point was like, give me some place that like at least I know. Like Culver's. Come on. I've only okay. been to Wisconsin twice. Okay.
3: Vegas is getting a Whataburger. You could try their fries. I'm I them know
5: all. Whataburger. They're from Texas. They're the yeah, uh, they're they're open 24 hours in Texas. That's why everybody knows them.
3: I'm sick of people comparing them to In-N-Out. They're not even in the same class. It's like comparing Iowa to Ohio State's offense.
5: I, In-N-Out, and thank I you. I I'm so happy because I used to live close to In-N-Out. And out uh, here in Vegas. Thank God they have the worst fries ever. They should yes. be banned from making French fries. I,
3: so I agreed with that for a while. I've grown to increase, uh, appreciate the simplicity of them. I don't know why.
2: It doesn't change the fact that their fries are terrible. Well, if, you, if you're if you waiting in a 30-car line every time, you expect a little bit more bang for your buck on the the on the How the hell
3: do people do that? Like, are these people
5: going to live forever? How do you have that kind of time to wait for an item that you're going to eat in like four minutes for 30 minutes?
2: The fact that you could drive by in and out at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., 6 p.m., 10 p.m., and it's the same line. Same line with the exact same cards every time.
3: Well, don't go inside and think you're going to cheat the line. It takes just uh, as long.
2: By the way,
5: yeah. this segment was great. This entire segment was nonsense, just like the Iowa offense. Thank you.
2: That's what we were all we're trying to circle See, back we didn't punt on it. Hey, <laughs> oop. Eight on the win total for Iowa. Hard pass. Yeah, for exactly. Me in 2023. We'll talk some Pac 12 football as we start our final hour of Sharp Money with Jordan Watkins right after this.
0: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever.